Everybody joining me this week on the Football Report is Justin Nails, college football writer for GreatIronNow.com and also sports writer for the Trustville Tribune. Uh, Justin, uh, welcome to the show. Hey, man. Thanks for having me on again. Oh, it's always great to have you on. You were on plenty of times on the uh, on the old show, uh, so it's great to connect with you again and uh, talk football with you. As you know, I guess the unofficial start of college football season is here. Yeah, no, it's here. The SEC Media Days always brings that that unofficial uh, start to college football this year. You know, changing venues. We're going to be in Atlanta instead of uh, instead of Uber here in Birmingham. So. Looking forward to that. Going to uh, I know a lot of people that um, obviously a lot of writers that didn't live in this area. If you ask them, they always wanted to uh, to see something different. So I think this is going to be their opportunity to be somewhere different, be in a different uh, location this year. And I know a lot of people are looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, being able to go to the College Football Hall of Fame and uh, the Mercedes-Benz Dome and everything else. I'm from Georgia, um, so I know about these places, but I, I moved away right before everything was kind of built. So um, to be able to go back and, and see those places is going to be pretty cool for myself. Yeah, and anytime there are media days, it seems like the biggest day is Alabama Day. Uh, that's The crowd is different, and it always was that way when it was in Hoover. Uh, Nick Saban, he, he's a rock star of college football. And uh, you wrote an interesting article, and I read it about Nick Saban, you know, what's left for him to do. And, you know, reading the article, I mean, he has accomplished pretty much everything you can in college football. So, really, what left is there for him to accomplish as a, a head coach in college football? Yeah, that's the the interesting kind of, of angle that I wanted to take with that article was looking at it from a – um, from somebody on the outside, you look at it and you go, well, if, if I were Nick Saban and I had just accomplished all this stuff, what keeps me ticking? And that's kind of the, the answer is built within itself. Is Nick Saban is the answer. He's the one that keeps himself going because he's, he's, he's just wired differently. Um, he's different than all of us in the fact that no matter what he accomplishes, he wants to accomplish more. He has a goal, um, and each and every year he wants to go out. And, and for whatever reason, um, it, it's it, what it, it's really what makes him so great is that he can kind of turn it off and turn it back on um, so quickly within a year. I mean, he just won the national championship, and he's going to come back this year uh, refreshed and, and turned back onto that. Look, we haven't accomplished anything this year. It's kind of his mantra going into each and every uh, media day. It's, it's look, guys, we this team hasn't accomplished anything. This team has to accomplish something before we can compare them to, to the what the team did last year and so on and so forth. And so I think it's a, a really interesting dynamic to, to see a guy like that at the level of college football where everybody, you know, for the most part looks at college coaches and, and the obvious choices to go to the NFL next. Well, Nick Saban's done that. Um, he's been there. He's done that. I don't think there's any question that, you know, had things gone a little differently while he was in Miami, he could still be there, but it didn't. He ends up back in Alabama, uh, back in the SEC, and now at Alabama this year, and and then you know the story kind of wrote itself. You know he's won now six national championships as a head coach. 
uh, five with Alabama, one with LSU, and you know one more would put him in a category of it, of his own. But he doesn't even need one more because by most standards and and how everything has transpired in college sports and, and college athletics, it's harder now to win a national championship than ever before. It's even harder to win multiple national championships, and, and he's done it uh, year in and year out there at Alabama, and it just speaks to how, how good he is. But that's kind of the dichotomy of, of how that how that article transpired. It was just like, it was just me looking at Nick Saban going, wow, you know, it's really cool that he has that mindset because not everybody does. I mean, you know, again, you go out and you do the greatest thing that you can do in, in your job and think about doing it multiple times over. And then instead of, you know, retiring and being like, look guys, I'm, I'm done. This is it. He continues to go back to the well and, and figure out a way to, to get himself to another level. That's just, it, it, it's an incredible feat for a guy. Uh, at any level, but for him to do it um, and to continue to do it is pretty special. And, you know, and, and especially now at the age he's at now, it's very impressive that he's continuing doing what he's doing because you see so many coaches when they get to their mid to late 60s, you know, one thing other teams are using that and recruiting against them, and it tapers off. I mean, look at Bobby Bowden and Steve Spurrier toward the end of their runs where they were at. The recruiting wasn't as well done because their age was being used against them, you know, most likely. Saban, that's different. He is still recruiting at a high level. And I guess, you know, playing the prediction game here, how much longer do you think his run at Alabama can go? Yeah, it's the, the funny thing is about what a lot of people don't talk about the age is that there's a, there's a certain specific you know, kind of theme that goes with the coaches getting older. And it's that they don't understand how to evolve within the game, right? So we saw this with Les Miles at LSU. Mm-hmm. He, he could not continue to, to evolve his offensive thinking, and therefore he got left behind. Well, this is something that we've seen multiple times with Nick Saban, even in the last you know seven years. You go back and look at what happened in the playoff in 2014, uh, with Alabama getting, um, or really 2013, and, and that Alabama team that, that lost to Auburn in the last game of the season in the Iron Bowl, then Nick Saban goes out and he hires a guy like Lane Kiffin to come and run the, the offense. And, you know, Alabama makes the, the playoffs three years in a row. They win a championship in, in 15, should have won a championship in 16. And then, oh, yeah, he brings in a freshman at halftime down 10 points to, to Georgia in the 2017 national championship and wins a national championship again. He's, he's ever evolving how he goes about doing his, his routine and, and how the offense continues to evolve and, and defensively too. I mean, he's, he's a genius on the defensive side of the ball, but it's, it's his offense that continues to evolve and get better and better year in, year in and year out. And so, I think that's his way of showing. Look, I can I can keep up. You know, I've got fresh minds coming in. Um, you, you know, the quarterbacks and the offense are going to see a new offensive coordinator with Mike Oxley this year. You know, that's going to make what four in the last three years because you had Lane Kiffin, 
Uh, then you had Steve Sarkeesian that came in for the national championship game during that 16th season. Then you have, uh, uh, I can't even think of his name. He's so forgettable. Um, the, the, the offensive coordinator from last year. Gosh, it's, it's absolutely going, you know, beyond my mind. But now you have Mike Loxley coming in, um, who, you know, it, it seems like is a guy that is going to be able to take a, a young guy like either Jalen or Tua and, and be able to do some new things within that offense. Um, he brings in a guy like Dan Enos, who was the uh, offensive coordinator at Arkansas, did some great things with quarterbacks there. Um, Burton Burns, the running backs coach, takes a position higher up within the athletic department, so he's going to have a new running backs coach. It's just this, you know, he continues to evolve. He continues to um you know, each and every year, and it just it, it goes to show you that he's not afraid to do things differently. And I think that's one thing that you have to do as a coach. And, and we'll see if it pays off this year. We'll see if they win another national championship or not. But it, it's that willingness to change things up that continues to, to work in his favor uh, year in and year out. You know, a side of the ball that he's always been known for is obviously on the defensive side of the ball. And coming to this season, it looks like an issue Alabama may have had last year. I'm not saying it's going to be an issue now, but questions could be made about the linebacker depth with the recent you know, injury to Terrell Lewis, injured his Achilles, uh, injured most of last year with an elbow injury that he got against Florida State. And, of course, here recently, Vendarius Cowan dismissed from the team. So should there be any questions about the depth at linebacker? Because I do think that was a big issue for Alabama toward the end of the regular season last year. Yeah, I mean, there's going to be some questions. Uh, they've got some guys, Alabama does have some guys there at that position um, that they can kind of rely on. They're going to rely – they relied on them last year. They're going to rely on them this year. Anthony Jennings is going to be back this year. Christopher Allen, Christian Miller, those guys are going to be able to uh, to really fill that role. And with, with Terrell, uh, Terrell Lewis out, you know, you can start looking at some guys – uh, Jamie Mosley played last year, played very well. Um, I think he's a guy that they can use on the outside that can that can come in and give you some depth. Uh, Jerez Parks, who was that, you know, that big time four four star player that was gray shirted from from two years ago, he's going to be ready to go this year. Um, they, they've got some other guys that that maybe they can um, they can switch around and maybe play in some other places. You may. You know, you may see a guy like uh, Markel Benton or Joshua McMillan. Maybe they come in and, and maybe Alabama takes a Mac Wilson or Dylan Moses and moves them to the outside um, instead of playing inside all of the time if they needed that depth. Now, right now, um, I think the, the front line, the starters that they're going to have throughout that linebacking core um, is going to be okay. Um with the front, you know, really the front seven is going to be um, is going to be really the, the the fire starter for this defense this year. Last year, it was the secondary. You had so many guys. I mean, look, what was it? You know, four or five guys that were taken from the secondary that went into the that either got drafted or were uh, undrafted free agents that got signed to NFL teams. So there was a lot of depth. There was a lot of senior. Um, or seniority in that in that 
in that club as well. So, um, you know, you've got some guys on the front seven, and like I said, Mac Wilson is a guy that's going to be a leader. Um, Isaiah Bugs, I expect a huge year from here. Uh, Raekwon Davis, another guy uh, on the front seven there on the defensive line that's going to have a big year. So they've got a lot of guys in there that that's they're going to be okay on the front seven. Um, the depth is an issue with the linebackers, but only once you start getting past um, that first, not even the first line of, of the depth, we, that, that second team of linebackers that Alabama has, it's still very, very, very good. Now, they may be young, but they're still very good. Um, and, you know, again, they've got guys on that defense, and even though they're they're bringing in another defensive coordinator this year, um, I just think that you know that is a that is a unit um, together that has put out so much talent over the years. I mean, you look at it since Nick Saban took over in 2007. I think Alabama's had 11 linebackers taken in the NFL draft. I mean, that's insane mm-hmm. how much talent. Um, that they've had at one unit throughout those years. So, um, you know, it's something that I think you should keep an eye on, but I'm not in panic mode, and I don't think anybody should be in panic mode. Look, Alabama has a a pretty easy schedule to start the season this year. Um, Their first game of the year is against Louisville. They're not going to go up against Lamar Jackson. So I think they're going to have a pretty okay time down in Orlando of uh, winning that game pretty easily. They're going to have a couple of games to figure out these things before they go into playing Old Miss. So that's what I expect from this team. they got plenty of time at, at a, a lot of different positions to figure things out. It's not like last year when they were opening, opening up against Florida State or, or you know, two years ago when they're opening up against a USC. Um, it's a little easier this year, and, and that's a good thing for the depth. Definitely. And, you know, you look on offense, that's, okay, we're all, everybody's talking about Tua versus Jalen, what's going to happen there. That's been the dominant storyline since the national championship sure. game. I don't think a player that gets a lot of attention on this Alabama football team that he deserves, and that's Damian Harris. And, I, and maybe some of it was because everybody was always hyping up Bo Scarborough that was also in the backfield with him. But I look at his numbers and the way he plays, a lot of what Alabama does he makes them so much better to me. Just he's able to come out of backfield. He's a great back between the tackles. But I just feel like Damian Harris does just not get hyped up enough that he should. Yeah, it's it's one thing that I, I kind of, in my offseason, kind of, you know, getting to know a little bit more about this team and, and getting ready for the season, you kind of start looking at stats. And I had no idea that, you know, Damian Harris is only about 1,300 yards from from overtaking the career yardage uh, crown at Alabama. Um, uh, uh, like I said, a little over 1,300 yards. He will pass Sean Alexander as the running back with the most yards in his career at Alabama. Now, Damian Harris could have left last year, and he would have gotten picked up in the NFL draft. Probably, uh, well, not probably, he would have been drafted before Bo Scarborough um, in last year's draft or in this year's draft. I totally believe that. Um, he's going to come back this year, and, and uh, again, 
you know, Damian Harris is a guy that does it all really well. He runs between the tackles well. Uh, he can bounce it outside. Uh, he's very good at, at pass protection. He's very good at catching the ball out of the backfield. He just does everything really, really well. Um, the problem at Alabama is that they have a system where they want a lot of guys to touch the ball, and you're going to see that again this year. Uh, Josh Jacobs is a guy that I think they're they're going to utilize on the outside a little more. Um, he, he proved the last year to be very good at catching the ball uh, out of the backfield. Najee Harris, another guy, a young guy that's very powerful, that can give you carries. I think they're going to do that this year. Um, and, and one thing last year, is I, I think they, they tried to get too many guys the ball at one time. I think they tried to give too many carries to too many guys. Damien Harris comes back this year. Bo Scarborough's gone. You know, you've got a three-headed monster in Harris, Harris, and Jacobs. It it almost sounds like a law firm. Um, (laughs) But you've got, you know, you've got enough carries that you can give to all three of those guys. And I still think that you're going to get to see uh, Damian Harris as that feature back in this offense going through uh, 2018. Yeah, having all them backs, that's that's not a bad problem to have. Though. A lot of teams would just take uh, two of them, and Alabama's got several of them. And, um, you know, the thing is is that you have a, a you know, a quote-unquote quarterback controversy or a quarterback competition. It's nice to know that you have a guy like Damian Harris who's put up 1,000 yards plus each of the last two years that you have in the backfield to go, okay, if things aren't going well in the passing game, we can just turn around and hand it to a guy like this, and he's gonna get us yards. That's definitely, you know. And let's kind of, you know, kind of wrap it up with uh, SEC Media Days is this week, as we mentioned at the top. You know, for Alabama, Nick Saban. Sometimes it seems like Nick Saban does have a message he wants to get across at these events. You know, SEC Spring Meetings, SEC Media Days, every now and then during the season. Do you think he will come into this Media Days with a message that he is looking to get across? I'm sure he will. Um, whatever that message is, I mean, we'll kind of we'll kind of figure it out as uh, as the week goes on. But um, you know, he's going to have to deal with the fact that a lot of people are going to want to want to know what's going on with the quarterback battle. Um, a lot of people are going to want to know what's going on with the depth at linebacker. Uh, I think one thing that Nick Saban has done really well this off season. And, and a lot of this is accredited to uh, the the big time YouTube videos that they've been to, the recruiting videos of the uh, the Bama cuts. You know, it kind of gives you a, a, a look at Nick Saban that not a lot of people get. Um, kind of an inside look at you know the man versus the machine because that's all we really know is the machine of Nick Saban and, and how he is. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it could be a little more lighthearted. Um, we, we may see a little more lighthearted, uh, Nick Saban. Um, I think that would be, that would be nice, but yeah, he's going to have a message. Um, we'll figure it out pretty soon what that message is. Uh, he's pretty, um, you know, w- whether it's dealing with nine conference games or whether it's dealing with recruiting and whether it's dealing with guys transferring, Nick Saban usually has something that he brings to the table that he wants people to understand. This is this is kind of my thing right now. You know, he he always does this, whether it be uh, you know media days or 
the coaches meeting that they have down in Destin or, or whatever. He, he does have a message. Um, you know, we'll see. I mean, there's a lot of changes going throughout college football right now. Obviously, the, the grad transfer rule is something that I think will probably come up. You had the offensive lineman. Uh, they got to transfer from, from Alabama and went to Tennessee, which was a big story, and I think that'll probably be be something that's asked, and uh, we'll see what Nick Saban has to say about it. But, um, yeah, I mean, obviously there's probably some really good – uh, really good, uh, you know, something that's going to make him mad and he's going to go off. We're, we're usually privy to that at least once a media day, so we'll be looking forward to that. But, um, no, I mean, look, he's got a he's got a great situation going into uh, 2018. He's got two really good quarterbacks that he gets to choose from and, um, and a really good team returning. We'll see what happens. We'll see what he's mad about. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, real quickly, uh, before I let you go, uh, is there any like non-Alabama storylines or things you're interested in uh, seeing happen at Media Days? Yeah, I mean, uh, Jimbo Fisher being at Media Days, that's going to be fun um, to see what he's going to be able to bring to Texas A&M and, uh, and, and that football that, I mean, he signed a huge deal to become the new uh, the new coach there. Um, that's going to be fun. Obviously, Joe Moorhead, the new coach at Mississippi State. I think that's a, uh, you know, a lot of people really like Mississippi State for, uh, for some reason this year. And I'm, I, I don't know. I'm kind of one of the only guys sitting back going, you, you do realize this guy's never coached in college football before, right? I mean, I'm not the only one um, that hasn't seen that. I was the same way with Kirby Smart. I, I mean, I don't, I don't back away from it. I did not think Kirby Smart was going to be this good, this quick, and and he proved me wrong. Um, we'll see what, what his arc looks like going forward, but the same with Joe Moorhead. We don't know really how how good he's going to be. Um, I think that's another storyline that's, that's really good. Obviously, the quarterbacks that are going to show up at media days, they're always um, the players in general, but quarterbacks usually are the leaders of the team when it comes to – kind of, uh, you, you know, that rally cry for what they're going to be like. That's going to be another good one. Um, you know, there's a lot. I mean, you know, obviously Paul Feinbaum re-signing his, his mm-hmm. SEC network deal um, is, is a big storyline. Not the biggest storyline, but it is a big storyline to get him back. And, um, you know, yeah, I mean, the coaches, um, it's another year. Uh, Jeremy Pruitt at Tennessee is a big storyline. Um, a lot of new coaches in the SEC. That's going to be that's going to be interesting to see. And and then you have this whole dichotomy of uh, of, of these uh, a lot of you know new quarterbacks. You know, Georgia's not bringing Jake Fromm. Alabama's not bringing either one of their their quarterbacks. You, you may see some quarterback battles there. Um, so there's there's a, a ton of storylines going through media days, which is why it's so much fun to get there early and, and stay late just to see how everything kind of takes place throughout the week oh most definitely it's one of the uh funnest times i think just looking even if you're just a fan just checking out what's happening it's a lot of fun and uh, it's one of the weeks or days on the calendar i know i circle as time i'm excited you know especially on the sports calendar so it should be a lot of fun checking out what goes on uh in atlanta for SEC media days so i gotta get used to saying that yeah, i know <laughs> 
But you know, maybe sh- maybe maybe what they'll do is that they'll just start putting it on a rotator. Well, they'll just go to different new places each and every year. So they'll have it in Atlanta this year, maybe New Orleans next year, or or Nashville the year after that, or uh, or you could go out to Texas somewhere and, and go there. Just maybe down to Florida, go to Orlando, or or you know Gainesville, or. You know, you could go uh, a lot of different places. Maybe you, you know, back in uh, back in Atlanta the next year, um, go up to uh, to Kentucky one year. You know, just kind of make it a a road trip every year. I wouldn't hey, mind that. If you go to New Orleans, you can get that famous gumbo that Coach Ed Orgeron is always talking about in Louisiana. So, uh, you know, oh, got oh man, there's, there's ten thousand places. There's ten thousand places in New Orleans to get gumbo. And if the old Ron is not head coach at LSU after this year, he'd be a good SEC network analyst to be on there and tell us all about it. <laughs> uh, when Lane Kiffin is the new head coach at LSU, I'm predicting that now, Justin, that Lane Kiffin will be the head coach at LSU this time next year. I'm, I, I want him back in hey, the SEC. That's all I want. You're not going to hurt. You're not going to hurt my feelings. It's going to be tough to 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 see what kind of payout that they would have. You know, you just signed a new deal with with uh, Florida Atlantic. It was a ten year deal. Um, obviously, I think the buyouts maybe like two million dollars. It's not, it's not a lot. Um, but uh, LSU would definitely pay that to get Lane Kiffin, and I myself would love if Lane Kiffin took the job at LSU. Are you kidding me? You want to talk about something that that boosts that LSU Alabama rivalry back up? Oh my God! I would pray. You know what? Now you've got me started on this. Now I'm going to have to go write a thousand word article on why Lane Kiffin should be at LSU next year. Just uh, give me a little mention there down there at the bottom that the idea came from the uh, the football report with Philip Jordan, you know, trying, trying to get a little bit, a little bit of advertising in there if I can. Uh, but uh, as always, Justin, this has been a lot of fun talking Alabama SEC football with you. And uh, if the listeners want to follow you online, where can they find you? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Justin Nails or read my articles at gridironnow.com. All right, sounds good. And, uh, Justin, I look forward to having you on again uh, sometime down the road talk some more Alabama and SEC football. All right, appreciate it, Philip. All right, next up on the football report, something I actually plan on doing from time to time is bringing in someone I know that is a, a listener to the program, someone that listens on a regular basis and also you know helps they play the game of football. So the first installment in this, and like I said, from time to time, this won't be a weekly thing, is uh, Destin Baker. He has called in to the Lance Griffin show the game plan from time to time if you listen, live in the Dothan area, uh, called into other radio stations around here too. And also, I have to say this, has probably the best meme game on the internet but anyways uh destin uh thanks for uh joining on here uh i guess for me as a podcaster i can't take calls so this is the closest thing i get <laughs> oh i understand i appreciate you having me i mean it's good to have you on here like i said and you played the game too so that's always in, you know like get the you know outlook or the inside of somebody that also played the game of football because hey look you know if any listeners out there i didn't play uh I love the game. I studied the game, but I couldn't play due to health reasons. So it's always nice to have someone on here on the other side of the of the line or microphone or whatever term you want to use, have one here and talk ball. And uh, so, but first, we get into that. Just, man, where, where do you find all these memes that you post on your Facebook, Instagram, and on Twitter? Where do you find them? Because it's constantly every day. Man, you've got like 40 or 50 of these things, and they're all hilarious. Right. 
that I, I there's this page on Facebook called Thunder Dungeon, and honestly, that's where I get them all from. Is just that one page on Facebook, Thunder Dungeon. I'm going to have to check that out. Now, they just got free, uh, free publicity here on the podcast, too. But I'll check that out because I, I, I get on there, especially Instagram, and it's it's a bunch of them. And they're all great. They're all hilarious. Uh, and uh, get a, get enjoyment out of them. Now, you are also... Well, I appreciate it. Oh, man, no problem. Uh, give props where they, uh, where they are deserved. And now, you are also a big Georgia fan. So, and we kind of talked about this, you know, on the uh here on the phone before we hit the record button but uh is that is that is that like a family tradition or something goes in the, runs in your family being a georgia fan yeah you know my dad's a georgia fan his dad's a georgia fan it is there's a couple you know here and there they're all them fans there's a couple that are georgia tech fans but uh the majority my daddy's side of the family is all georgia uh, my mama's side is mostly mostly alabama and auburn but daddy's side is all georgia and uh, the way I became a Georgia fan is, I think I was probably like three or four, and Daddy was watching a football game, and I asked him who was playing. He said Georgia. And I think Georgia's playing Vandy or something. And Georgia was blowing them out, but uh, I asked Daddy. I said, "Well, who do you want to win?" And he said Georgia. And I said, "Well, are you a Georgia fan?" And he said, "Yeah." And I was like, "Oh, okay." So when I was a kid, I wanted to be like my Daddy. So he was a Georgia fan, so I became a Georgia fan. Oh, there's one thing you said there that I have to question. There are Georgia Tech fans. There's one. There's one Georgia Tech fan. Okay, I didn't know those existed. That's why I was wondering. And you know, if there well, is a Georgia Tech fan listening to this right now, you can follow me on Twitter at the Phil Jordan. You can send me all your hate tweets right now. Um, but back on topic. <laughs> so, being a Georgia fan, it's really, I guess, when you look at the last twenty years or so, you know, since the Herschel Walker days when he won national championship. Being a Georgia fan is kind of like there's been a lot of highs, but the lows with Georgia too. It's had at times be frustrating to see what you know. This team has had the potential to be so great, be a national title contender, and they should be. What that pro? What is it? Uh, excuse me. What is at that program? But falling short so many times has to be frustrating as a fan. It you know it is. I, um, you know we haven't won one since nineteen eighty. Um, you know we. Went through a rough stretch. I tell people all the time, you know, um, if anybody ever questions my Georgia fandom, I made it through Georgia's 90s, and, and that was tough. It was tough to be a Georgia fan in the 90s. I mean, we beat Florida one time in the 90s, 97. Um, I mean, Ray Golf couldn't get it done, and he got fired because, you know, he couldn't beat Florida, Tennessee, Auburn, Georgia Tech. And then Jim Donnan came, and same thing with him. And then when Mark Rick was hired, his second year he went 13-1, and won, won the SEC Championship. And if it would have been, we were one game away, you know, Florida played Spoiler and Spoiler National Championship. And then in 2012, when Georgia played Alabama again, four yards short. And then, I mean, I'm not saying we would have beaten Notre Dame, but I think we would have beaten Notre Dame because we were the same team as Alabama, and Alabama just clobbered them with the run game. And uh, then, you know, of course, last year, it still hurts last year from last year, but, I mean, you know, one play away. We've been one play away two years, and just, I mean, it's just, I think Georgia sports teams are cursed, honestly. Well, I will not bring up the Atlanta Falcons then with that. Uh, but I will say this about 2012. The SEC championship game was the national championship game that year. Notre Dame stood no shot oh, I, at either team. I agree. I mean, you know, in last year, you know, it, it, Georgia's problem back then, you know, in 2012 and last year 
they didn't have to put the nail in the coffin. I mean, Georgia was up by 10 points last year against Alabama and let them come back. When you get, when you play a team like Alabama and you're up by that much, you got to keep going. You got to put the hammer down and just keep going. Because if you if you make one mistake or you get conservative one time, bam, Alabama's back in the ball game. Uh, yeah, definitely. And it <laughs> seems like you know Alabama has like nine lives like their cat out there because you know constantly. And, and the thing about it, you can make an argument they should never been there. They way their schedule was, but that is what it is. They got there. They wanted to beat Georgia. Now. You were uh, you played football in high school. You played at Abbeville and at uh, Dixie Academy, uh, correct? That's right. Yeah, I was looking through the stats, you know, and it looked like it was a struggle or not the best of uh, years. Oh yeah, it was. Um, I played I played high school football all the way from eighth grade to twelfth grade, and and all those years, the most games we ever won was three, and that was my senior year. So you know when you look at that, and you you know someone's listening to this that they're also they, they're playing, or maybe they don't play. They just love football. They're just listen to this, but tough times have hit them. What can you know? What you went through, just you know, not having a successful season, teach you about pushing forward and uh, just you know going through adversity. You know, there's adversity all the time on the football field. You know, regardless if you're up by twenty points or you're losing by twenty points. You know, you just gotta have. You know, it's a lot of teams that are used to winning. They don't have, you know, they go out there and they expect to win. But teams like that, like that I played on, you know, you're like, well, you look at your schedule and you're like, okay, well, maybe we'll beat this team, or there's a chance we could beat this team. You know, and that, you know, it, it, it's hard to to deal with that. You know, especially when you go up against a team that's bigger, stronger, faster, and you know, you just, it's like a lot of players, not all, but a lot of players just go out there. Basically, it's like, well, we already lost this game, and I mean, you get blown out. We got blown out a lot. Um, we were when I was at Abbeville, we were four A. We had no business being four A. We were overmatched and everything, and we just we had a lot of good. We had a lot of talented players. We did, but that got overshadowed by, you know, we didn't have but you know, eighteen, nineteen, twenty players. So you have to play both ways. So by the time, you know, you get on offense bam, you score, you get back on defense, and it becomes a track meter or, you know, you're already down by three touchdowns and your defense, you're just like, why should we even try, you know? And and that's not how it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be, you know, football's fun. I learned a lot of stuff playing football, and it's a team game. And if one player's down or two players are down, you got to get up and, like, listen, we're still playing, you know. We can still make this tackle or we can still, you know, catch this pass or – even if, like I said, you know, even if you're down by 20 points and there's two minutes to go in the game, there's no way you're going to win the game. You just go out and have fun, you know. And you know, you never know. Football's a game of luck. You never know. You know, you make one block and spring from my for a touchdown, or you know, you block a field goal or a punt that could change the course of the game. And it's it's all about momentum. And then once you get that momentum, you know, you just got to keep it going. Yeah, most definitely. So you go from there, playing high school, then you go to Huntington College. Now, how how was that process like? Is it did you get recruited? Did you just decide to go there? What was that process? Well, we'll see. In Division Three, they're not allowed to offer athletic scholarship. They can only offer academic scholarships. So I was being looked at by like two schools, them, and then a school in Illinois called Greenville College. But uh, 
I wanted to go to Huntington. My mom and uh, my mama was actually the one that talked to the coach at Huntington that came and see me, and he contacted me, and I went up there for my visit and everything. I was gonna, I was really gonna sign with that school in Illinois, but then the more and more I thought about it, the more and more I was like, okay, you know, I want. My parents have been to most of all my games growing up, mm-hmm. so if I want them to come to my games, I need to stay close to home. So I ended up going to Huntington. I called the coach and signed my letter of intent and. The rest is history, I guess. <laughs> yeah, you know, you see that a lot, too. You see a lot of players end up transferring for that reason, that they go far off away from home, they get homesick, and they end up transferring back close to a school, sometimes a much smaller school uh, that is close to home. So, you know, that, that is it seems like that is a trend with a lot of uh, athletes, players, when they do go to colleges, they do want to be – being close to home a lot of times is the difference on where they choose to go. That's right. I mean, we'll just look at – Demetrius Robinson, you know, he was being recruited hard by a lot of schools, and he ended up signing with Cal, and, you know, he just transferred back. You know, he just transferred, and Georgia just picked him up. Yeah, and that's, that's a huge getting. He's going to appeal for that whole process so he can have uh, eligibility right away. If not, he may have to sit out a year. Uh, so that's, that's going to be interesting to check out the next couple weeks or so to see how that just play out. So, now you're an outside linebacker. Uh, and you told me off air you play the the bandit position. So for people who don't know, they just know linebacker. What what does it mean when you say the bandit position? Well, the way we did the bandit was in a three four defense. A bandit is just basically like a rover. Um, he can go down into a stance and play deep defensive end four three defensive end, or he can go back into coverage. But nine times out of ten, he's the um, we played Buck and Bandit. Buck was your was your strong side defensive end that rushed the passer, and the Bandit was the one that he could still rush, but nine times out of ten, he would either go back into coverage or he'd be like a filler, or like a rover in the middle of the field. Okay. So now, in your college days, how long were you playing there at Huntington College? Well, I... I only played probably like eight or nine practices and I tore my knee up. Um, I had that surgery, so I was out. And um, I left after that year. So when you, I guess, decided to quit playing football, how hard was that? You know, it was really hard. It was, it was all I ever knew my li- in my life. And, and you know, when when you're so used to something, you know, it's, it's weird getting up and not having early morning practices or – you know, working out or just, it, it's just like a piece of your life was taken away. You know, it, I had injuries before, you know, it was just minor injuries, you know, bruised bone or, you know, sprained ankle or something, something minor, you know, something that you'll come back for a couple of weeks. But when I hurt my knee and he told me I would be out for a year, that, that really, really, really hurt me. And I basically just, I mean, I, I left school after the year. I probably could have went to like I went to rehab and everything and got my knee strong, and I probably could have come out the second year. But I don't know. It was just like the wind was taken out of my sails, and I just didn't want to do it anymore, you know. And that's not a good attitude to have, and I regret having that attitude. But that's just how I was then. Yeah, you know, it's you know that's got to be tough. You like I said, injury, you don't go to it. So what did you do after that? Well, I uh, finished up that year of school. I uh, took some time off, and I just did a few jobs, you know. I take that back. After that school year, they had, like, a little intramural flag football team I played in, and it was okay. Um, you know, it was still football. 
then after that year, I, I had a couple jobs and everything, and I uh, and I joined the army in '08 and went to Iraq and came back in August of 2010. And a lot of people don't know this, but Fort Benning has like a uh, a tackle football league kind of a team, and they're called the Doughboys. And I tried out for it. But um, I knee didn't. I didn't make the team because of my knee and everything, and I had to get waivers and everything to even join the army because of my knee. Um, but that team was pretty good. They uh, they went and played, you know, Columbus State. They played a couple. They played New Orleans College. They played a, a lot of schools. And uh, but so I, when, after that fell through, I uh, I coached on post. Um, I missed the deadline for tackle football, so I coached flag football for like a. Um, a year, yeah, about a year, and then uh, that was in 2012, and then I got the army in 13, and again had a couple, couple jobs here and there, and then I uh, up here recently, the last couple of days, I uh, actually, I'm gonna help out one of the local high schools here. I'm gonna help them coach, so at least I can get back into it. Oh, nice, nice. That, that, that's that's good, and then. From what you told me, describing a bandit, you know, you have a lot of insight to the game. So uh, that school and those kids will be benefiting from uh, some good uh, some good coaching, I think. Uh, now, you said, okay, you went to the military years in the Army. You know, I told you this off air. Thanks for your service, first of all. Two, of course, a big topic right now. It looks like we're going to have a third straight year of the NFL. The main storyline is going to be the national anthem. I would rather get back to football and – I feel like I have to do this every time I talk, bring the subject up on my side. I'm against the taking a knee or protesting during the national anthem for multiple reasons. One, I think it's, I do believe it's disrespectful. Two, I couldn't do that at my job. I believe when you're at the game, you caught the end. That's you're you're at your job. And another thing, it's just bad business at the end of the day. Also for that, because most football fans are on the conservative side. They don't like that. You're losing dollars, and it's it's just, it's a bad business. It's a bad business or a bad decision when you mix politics and sports, anyways. So that's my take on it. Every time I I bring this topic up, Destin, I feel like I have to explain that because you never know. I have a new listener may not know my opinion on that. But for you, you serve this country. First, what did just I guess just give your opinion on it. What is your thoughts on this whole topic in the NFL? Well, you know, I, I honestly think that, I mean, I understand, you know, I fought for this country and everything, and to me it's disrespectful. Um, like like um, Pac-Man Jones said, you know, it's, it's not, if you're going to, that's not where to do it at. You know, like you said, it's your job. You know, I understand some people, they don't have, like you said, the, the national anthem don't have anything to do with football. I mean, it does, but it does, you know what I mean? It's like a double-edged mm-hmm. sword. To me, when I watch, like, a lot of people that I know, a lot of close friends, they've been watching NFL their whole lives. And then when the anthem protest started happening, they quit watching altogether. Um, and I understand where they're coming from. I understand America's, you know, it's all about, you know, freedom of speech and all that kind of stuff. And that's, they're free to do that. But it makes them look bad because, honestly, to me, I think it's just a uh, – trying to get attention honestly because if you notice any info game you watch and there's somebody kneeling they're like the camera on that goes to them bam blah 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 kneeling you know for the anthem and then they talk about sports and all the time so there's more and more attention being brought to it i think that if 
you don't give them the publicity like that. Or if you just, I mean, you don't have to put your hand over your heart, but just stand, you know? If you just stand up and everything, and you just do that, and you don't give those guys publicity, I think it'll make the game a lot better, honestly. Yeah, and, and I talked about on one of the last week's shows that now the Players Association has filed a grievance against the new policy, which basically the NFL is saying, uh, if you come out, you must stand, but you can stay in the locker room if you don't if you want to come out which to me once again everybody's going to say wondering who's not out there but that's what they're going to be looking for so you know it's it's one of the things I, I once again like i said to start this question it's going to be a third straight year of the nfl dealing with this um i i don't see how this goes i think eventually it'll be a collective bargaining agreement a deal the owners say okay we'll give you this if you quit that but it's still going to be an attention thing. It's a negative thing because, I mean, instead of us worrying about the games, we're worried about what's happening before. And really, what's, we use these games to escape from the real world, and now you're kind of bringing that into entertainment value for fans. Oh, yeah, I agree with you. Um, you know, like, I watch NFL for fantasy football, you know, and, and honestly, I mean, this might be weird or bad to say, but, if I have a guy on my fantasy football team and he kneels, I don't even want to have anything to do with him, honestly. Um, that's just, like like I said, though, but to me, that's just disrespectful. I mean, to each their own, but that's that's probably a bad thing to say but and do, but he could be my best player on my fantasy team, and if, if they said that he's been kneeling, I, I, won't, I don't want to have anything to do with him, honestly. Uh, yeah, you know, it's... it's a tough situation in the NFL, and I don't think they have handled it correctly. They could have done something different. I don't know. But uh, I just want to get back to just talking about the games and not have to, uh, on Monday morning, when we talk about what happened on Sunday, uh, who kneeled and who protested. I just want to get back to football. As the NFL tries to push every year when it comes back. Um, well, Destin, this has been a lot of fun talk to you i feel like i think i've known you for over a year but this is you know i really i got to get to know you what's going on you know your playing days and everything so it was a lot of fun uh here talking to you is there anything else you'd like to say uh before i let you go um not that i can think of um you know i appreciate everybody listening and appreciate the support and you know go dogs i guess (laughs) (laughs) and uh do you have a twitter account for anybody wanted to follow you I do. Uh, you can follow me at Destin Baker. Um, I have, I've just started using Twitter recently, like more than I used to. So uh, you can just, uh, you can follow me on Twitter. All right. Sounds good. And uh, Destin, once again, this was a lot of fun and I look forward to maybe chatting with you again sometime down the road. Yes, sir. I appreciate it.